Would you hop in a hot air balloon? Would you go high into the sky in a little wicker basket, a little flame next to your head? Some of you would. Some of you wouldn't. But I almost guarantee nobody will want to after hearing our first story. And then we meet two boys who are riding their Razor scooters through the neighborhood. They're just having fun, kicking their feet and gliding down the street. But little do they know they're actually about to open a portal that distorts time itself. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Garbiner. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun doing whatever you're doing. I am, because I saw the new Transformers movie last night. Yep, they're still making them. Yep, I'm still watching them. And I enjoyed this one. It wasn't as good as part three or part one. Um, You're like, Jason, those were terrible too. No, they weren't. No, they weren't. They were good. They were good. It wasn't as good as part three or part one, but it was better than all of the rest. So I really enjoyed my time with Optimus Primal. He's a big old monkey man from the future. It's so weird. But I love it. I love it. Anyways, I'm in a great mood because I got to watch Transformers Rise of the Beast last night. But someone who's always in a good mood. Someone who has been with this podcast, as far as I can tell, the earliest identified listener of Dead Rabbit Radio walking into Dead Rabbit Command right now. Everyone give it up for the loyal, the spectacular, the awesome Veronica. Woohoo! Yeah! Wee! Yeah! Walking on in. Walking on into Dead Rabbit Command. Veronica, yeah, she was one of the original 14 listeners of Dead Rabbit Radio. I should have had her on yesterday's five-year anniversary episode, but at the last minute, I, I went with Sabine. But I wanted to give Veronica a shout-out because, again, she's been here since the beginning. She's going to pilot all of our vehicles, and who knows? Some of them may, some of them may transform in this episode. We will find out. Veronica, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Dead Rabbit Dirigible. We're going to go ahead and leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. Fly us all the way out to Egypt. Now, this story involves the blimp's little brother, the hot air balloon. First, I don't know which one came first, actually, but probably the hot air balloon. Because they're easier to make. I could probably make a hot air balloon... If you gave me enough sheets and thread and taught me how to sew, taught me how to sew and gave me directions on how to build a hot air balloon, I think I could build one. I think I could build at least the balloon part, then building the part that you set on fire, like the little metal part. You, I probably need, I probably need a metal worker to come in for that. But I imagine hot air balloons were first, and then someone goes, oh, "I can make that bigger. I can make it better. Let's start making dirigibles and zeppelins." and blimps but the story involves the dirigible's little baby brother the hot air balloon apparently and this makes sense apparently in egypt there's a huge tourism industry obviously you can walk around these famous sites the valley of the kings the pyramids and go wow we that's way smaller than i thought it would be that's what i hear most from people who actually visit the pyramids they go they're smaller than i thought they would be in Revenge of the Fall in Transformers 2, when a devastator climbed up the pyramid, it looked huge. But you can walk around the pyramids. You could ride a camel around the pyramids, not up the pyramids. That would be 
I would pay for that. And also, uh, let's say that you don't want to do either of those things. Let's say that you're from another country and you're like, you know what? I do enough walking where I'm from. I want to fly. There's a big hot air balloon industry in this area where you have the Valley of the Kings, the River Nile. So you hop in a balloon, hot air balloon, and it flies you around the area and you can look down at all of it and not move, not walk. Rest your little leggies. It's a huge tourist thing to fly in hot air balloons all around this area, the River Nile and Valley of the Kings. All of it. Well... On February 26, 2013, you have all these hot air balloons taken off. All these tourism companies are like, go up into the sky, mighty balloon. I, I, I guess you can't steer a balloon. I found that out when I was researching this. You're just in it. And then the captain, there's like a, there's a captain. He has a little hat. He has a little wicker hat to match the basket. He's the captain slash pilot. And they basically go, well, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to float around here for a while, but we don't know where we're going to land. A lot of that depends on the wind and the the balloon will just land. They can kind of like, they have radios, right? And there's people on the ground looking up and they're like, Hey, Charlie, Charlie, we see your balloon is going West. And they drive it like his ground team drives in a pickup truck and they kind of follow the balloon slowly descends and there's ropes lowered, and the ground crew grabs the ropes and help kind of guide it in. But they don't know exactly where it's going to land. They kind of have to figure that out as it's flying. Now, all of that information is interesting to me and highly relevant to this story because none of it goes right. This story is terrifying. It's not just a terrifying story of human misery. It's also a story of... How just unsafe the world is. <laughs> I know that, Jason. I watched the nightly news. And no, but it's a little more than that. Let's get into this. February 26, 2013 at 7 in the morning. And the captain of this hot air balloon is operated by Sky Cruise. This captain goes, come on board, everybody. Get on board my balloon. I'm going to take you up. We're going to go flying around. How many people, first off, do you think are in this balloon? Because I'm thinking like... Around the world in 80 days, you got like a man, a woman, a kid, and a dog. And you're kind of bumping elbows with these people. There's 21 people in this balloon, including the captain. 21 people are crammed into this wicker. I'm assuming it's a pretty big wicker basket. They're crammed into this wicker basket, and the captain's like, Is that all? Is that all ground crew? You ready? So you just, just drive around, and, and we'll land eventually. Let's go. And the flames shooting up into the balloon and it's filling with hot air, which is why they call them that. I bet you, I bet you didn't know. You're like, what's a hot air balloon? How do those work? The balloon whoop, lifts off into the sky. This tourism industry has been around for years. They do this every single day. Let's flash back two years earlier. In 2011, there was a revolution in Egypt where they overthrew the president of Egypt, which you know, it was obviously big news. I could go on and on about that. <laughs> I gotta focus. I found that period in history so fascinating, but I gotta focus on the side air balloon. But basically, you know, the president overthrown, and that was really bad for the tourism industry because Egypt, one of their main industries, is tourism. People want to come out and see these sites that have existed long before even the Bible was written, like these ancient, ancient sites. People want to go out and see it. 
But tourism tends to take a bit of a hit when there's armed warfare in the streets between the people and the government. So people are like, I don't know, maybe we'll go to Florence this uh, summer, kids. I've been reading some crazy stuff going on in Egypt. So the tourism industry took a hit, but the revolution is over at this point. The president's been overthrown, and it's slowly coming back. The tourism industry is slowly coming back. But what happened was the new government... Think about it. You overthrow a president. You're the revolutionaries. You overthrow this government. And you're like, oh my God, like we did it. We actually didn't want to expect this to actually work. Everyone's like, oh, yeah. it's pretty uh, touch and go there for a while. Now we got to make sure that people have water in their homes, that the garbage service is still working, all of this stuff. Plus, you know, pre prevent another revolution, prevent any sort of coup. We got to do all this stuff. So you have to imagine when you're looking at the big picture, there would be certain things that would kind of fall to the wayside. And one of these things we will quickly learn, and the government investigations into this after what happened, was hot air balloon safety. <laughs> because this is a big part of their economy. The original government had all these rules and regulations involving hot air balloon safety. But when there's an armed revolution, when people are getting killed in the streets and the revolution is successful, you got to worry about all these big things. I'm sure someone came to the new people in charge and they're like, hey, um, I know we got all this stuff to take care of, but we should, probably should check on those hot air balloons. And they're like, what? I mean, yeah, eventually we got to make sure that the plumbing still works. So, it started to get really, really lax. There were investigations into what we're about to get into where they're like, you, you, did, anyone check, did anyone check on these hot air balloons? Because the companies are going to do what they need to do to continue to fly, even if it means skirting a safety rule here and there. February 26, 2013, we're in Luxor, Egypt. That's the... City where all of this stuff is located. At 7 in the morning, this hot air balloon takes off through the sky. The balloon has already done its tour of the area. Captain calls into his ground crew. Hey, we're headed due east. Meet us there. Get in the pickup truck. Drive around. We'll be over there. The balloon begins to land. When all of a sudden, a leaky fuel line ignites. And sets the basket on fire. So you have 21 people standing in this wicker basket. And luckily at this point, the balloon is coming down to land. And the drop ropes have been thrown out. And the ground crew's out of the pickup truck. And they're grabbing onto the ropes when this fire starts. But it's still about 40 feet in the air. You're standing in this wicker basket with 20 other people. A fire erupts in the sky on what you're standing in. And you look over the side and there's a 40-foot jump. Well, the captain jumps out. Some people said he fell out. Some people said he abandoned his craft, but the captain of this vessel, the captain of this hot air balloon, jumped out of it 40 feet in the air. Hit the ground. 
another passenger jumps out of it. Hits the ground. And when these two men fall out or jump out of the hot air balloon and the ground crew sees their captain as one of them, what they do is they let go of the ropes that was holding the balloon in place to attend to their friend, their co-worker. And the balloon now full of flame. The basket is on fire with people standing in it, screaming. All of that flame is generating all of that heat, which then goes straight into the hot air balloon and shoots it up into the sky. No pilot. Open flames all around you. Every second, the hot air balloon goes higher and higher and higher and higher. And you'd have to... I mean, think about it. If you jumped out at 40 feet, you might have had a chance. Maybe 50 feet. So you leap. Maybe 70 feet. You jump out then. You're 100 feet in the air and you know there's no way to survive. But you're on fire. And you're only climbing further away from the earth. By the time the hot air balloon hit 160 feet, Seven more people leapt out of the flames and plummeted towards the earth. The balloon, unpiloted, uncontrolled, roaring flame inside this basket, ascends up to a thousand feet in the air. At this point, you still have 11 people in this hot air balloon that's on fire, leaking fuel line, constantly dripping more and more fuel to that fire in that basket, when it reaches a thousand feet in the sky, the fuel tank explodes. This part was caught on video from someone in another hot air balloon. You know, he thought he was just going to be recording some, like, old dusty stuff in Egypt, and instead he's looking out a few football fields away from him, and he sees this Basket on fire. He sees the balloon. There's a huge flash. And then the balloon just collapses in on itself. It must have gotten shredded by the explosion. Because at that point, the balloon and the basket just plummet towards the earth. Nine people still on board. Falls 1,000 feet out of the morning sky. Slams into the ground. There was only two survivors out of all 21 occupants. Two survivors. One was the captain. The other one was one of the early jumpers. I couldn't find that it was specifically the guy who jumped out at 40 feet. It may have been someone who jumped out after that. You know, obviously not around the 100-foot mark. Um, that would it'd be a miracle if someone survived at that range. But, you know, miracles happen. 
And there was complaints that the captain left the vehicle unattended. Maybe he could have used his skills to land it. Maybe he could have figured out some way to put it out. It was interesting. I read a bunch of articles about this. At first I thought, yeah, that's kind of crazy. The pilot jumped out. Well, as I kept reading into this, the pilot had severe burns to 70% of his body. So it wasn't like his mustache got singed and he's like, gotta go. He was badly, badly burned. And I think there is a human instinct. He's not like, oh, I'm a hero. I'm going to be a hero today. He's all working through the flames. Like, we want to think we would be able to do that. We want it. To, but, I mean, when your body is 70% burned, I think just animal instinct kicks in. You jump out of the balloon. And, again, some people said he fell out. The ground crew, that their problem was letting go of the ropes to go save their captain. They could have possibly at least contained it, kept it low enough, or brought it even lower so more people could have gotten out. People pointed fingers all over the place, but all of the fingers ended up being pointed at the government because at the end of the day, they weren't enforcing their regulations that the previous government had set up. It had been two years. They go, we get it. You overthrew this dude, and you guys got to count the bullets and make sure you got enough tax dollars coming in to support next year and all that stuff, but... You should also be doing these safety checks. Other people obviously said the company themselves should have taken responsibility for it. It's not the government to make you be safe. You could have also been safe. They shut down the hot air balloon industry for quite a while. And again, this was a big part of the economy in this area, in Luxor. And there was a lot of blowback from that. Not only was this an international incident, because these were tourists from all over the world, and people were like, dude, Egypt, get your act together. Like, you, 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 If you're not being safe, if you can't regulate this type of stuff, then what's going on? It's also the worst air balloon accident since the Hindenburg. That's not something you want to have in your tourism brochure. But it's a crazy story, and for me, it's that story. Like, We just recently had like a freeway overpass collapse here in America. I think it was in New Jersey or somewhere on the East Coast. I'm not too worried about it, but I am worried about it because you have all of these things that are. we assume every time we drive over a bridge that it's safe. We assume these things. We assume that when we buy a car that it's been safety tested, so if I hit something, it's not going to burst into flames. We assume that when we're buying food, that it's not going to poison us or have razor blades in it. You know what I mean? Like, we assume these things, and in the back of our head, we go, well, you know, companies, they're just out to make money. They're always just out to make money. And the government, hopefully, is keeping them in check. But companies and the government are, they're fairly incompetent entities, and until something like this happens, we don't think about it. Until there's a freeway overpass or a train derailment or a bridge collapse, we just assume that what we're driving across is safe, what we're living near is safe, and that people do have our best interest at heart. And they actually have regulators coming out and going, well, um, I noticed this bridge is missing half its rivets. you got to fix those by Tuesday. But in reality, that's not happening. It could be because of laziness. It could be because of corruption, bribery. It could just be because of a million reasons. But when these 20 people got in this hot air balloon, they thought they were going to have 
memories that they would be able to share with their loved ones forever, video footage and photos, and just looking out at the rising sun over the Egyptian landscape from a hot air balloon. And instead, because of bad business practices, apparently there had been issues with this fuel tank before. They had, a year or two previous, they had had to repair something on it. They knew, the company that ran this knew that it was kind of, not makeshift, but they were doing kind of rigging it as they went. And because you didn't have to worry about safety investigators, well, yeah, sure, this will work, this will work. Um, Obviously, the captain didn't think. He's not like, ah, you know, I want a little workman's comp. I hope I blow up today. They wouldn't have thought that was a thing. But if you notice something that was a little off in the engine, eh, you know, whatever. We ran it 100 times yesterday. Nothing bad happened. We can run it 100 times today. And instead, because of laziness and negligence, 19 people died while on a ride over the Valley of the Kings. It's a creepy story, and it does make me think, like, what other dangers are out there that we just assume are being regulated? Veronica, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the carbon helicopter. We are leaving behind Egypt. Fly us all the way out to a suburban neighborhood. You know, it's funny, I just took a break. I actually left... I recorded that first segment, walked down to Walmart to pick up a prescription, and as I was walking back, I see this huge cement mixer truck driving towards me. I'm in the walking in the bicycle lane. There's no sidewalk there. Cement mixer truck's coming towards me. The first thing I thought was, might be Decepticon. <laughs> might be Decepticon. They might know that I know too much about the Transformers. But then I thought, I hope that truck's had a uh, safety inspection. Like, I hope that the tires are filled with the right amount of air and that, you know, it's it's funny because, yeah, I don't want to go back on that same story that I just spent a ton of time talking about. But that thought was going through my head, like, I assume that that car, that ma- it's not even a car, it's a massive truck, has recently and successfully undergone some sort of safety inspection. But we just don't know. We just take. You just take chances. Just take chances every time we do anything, every time we exist. But now we're in this, and I say this is sub, a suburban neighborhood. I'm not actually for sure. We don't know the exact location on this story, but it's more than that. The, the, you know, I imagine suburbs like the suburbs I grew up in. This one seems to have an intro. It has like an alleyway in between houses, so it might take more like on an inner city type of neighborhood, but just so you can picture it, it's lines of houses, and then there's this um, alleyway that cuts through all of the backs of the houses, so that's where this story takes place, just so you can picture it. We're about to meet two children, two kids. Uh, One of them is, these aren't the real names, one of them is a guy we're going to call Logan. He's 10 years old, and he's playing with his friend Charlie who's 13. And they're playing outside on their Razor scooters. They were the, all the rage for a long time, the Razor scooters. I never was on one. Uh, they came out far after I was a kid. But Logan and Charlie are within the proper age to be playing around on their Razor scooters, and they're out in this alleyway in between the houses, and they're just having fun. Scooting around. 
Logan, the one who posted this story, said, while we were on our Razor scooters, across the alley at a neighbor's house, there were other children playing basketball. He said it was about four or five boys shooting hoops while Logan and Charlie are rolling around on their Razors. And Logan goes, you know what? Let's make a figure eight. Let's draw, let's let's roll around our razors in a pattern and make a figure eight. It's really interesting, because I'll have this in the show notes, obviously. Despite the fact that he calls it a figure eight, he draws an illustration of the pattern him and Charlie took with their razor scooters. It doesn't look like an eight. I don't know if these kids uh, need to uh, spend a little more time in school and less time on their razor scooters, but he says let's do a figure eight, and they start going in this certain pattern and and you'll see it in the show notes and you may want to have access to this because if this story is true if they actually tapped into something this i mean you could do it too i I don't know what the benefit would be but just just for raw unlimited power maybe logan and charlie start doing this design they start kind of weaving in and out making this design on their razor scooters forming this pattern in their movement and the whole time they hear the kids playing basketball in the house across the alley yo man pass me the pill pass me the pill boing boing we yeah you guys scored another one jimmy yeah now it's my turn to throw a three-pointer what get them guys basketball game's going on Logan and Charlie continue to roll their Razor scooters in this particular pattern. They're still trying to make this figure eight. I, I guess that is their ultimate goal, but they keep going in this weird direction. Come on, man. Pass it over here, Jimmy. Boing, boing. Thank you, man. And now it's my time to shine. I'm going to make a shot. Here we go. Whew. You don't have to be a sports aficionado to understand that sounds follow other sounds. If somebody throws a basketball through a hoop, fall through the net, hit the ground, boom, 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 boom. And Logan and Charlie weren't watching the game. They were playing on their Razor scooters. But the game was so close to them, they were hearing everything. And Logan said, I heard the guys playing. Me and Charlie are making this design in the ground. I hear the guy go for the shot. We're continuing to try to make this pattern. I stop. Charlie stops. And the noise of the basketball game completely disappears. As the ball is soaring through the air, before it hits the rim, before it goes through the net, before it bounces several times on the ground, before someone picks the ball up, there's just silence in the alleyway. Logan looks over to where these four to five kids were playing basketball, and there's no one there. No kids, no basketball, no game in progress, nothing. Logan turns to Charlie and goes, hey, uh, wh- what just, what just happened? I, what, we, we were just doing this thing on a Razor scooters. 
Those kids are playing basketball, right? Charlie goes, yeah. Like, there was a full game going on between these guys. And then it just ended. And not that it just ended. It fell completely silent. It's not like someone got injured, or the kid with the ball went home, or the mom called him in for supper, or anything. Not just mid-game, but mid-play. The game ended. The participants were gone. And they're talking this over because they both were hearing the game while they were doing the Razor Scooter thing. They both know that this event was going on, but it's gone. And it's puzzling to them. But there has to be a rational answer for this. They must have all just went in somehow, (laughs) completely unnoticed, completely silent. They must have just went in and they talked about this for a while and they go, we got to ask somebody because this is just weird. It's not life changing weird yet, really. But let's see what happened. And they actually went to the neighbor's house, knocked on the door. The neighbor's mom is there. She answers the door and they go, hey, a weird question. But were the boys playing basketball a few minutes ago? And the mom goes, uh, they were playing basketball like 30, 45 minutes ago, but they left. They stopped playing. They went down to the corner store. Uh, okay. We're just, just curious. Mom shuts the door. Logan and Charlie start to walk away, and they cannot figure out what just happened. They know, for a matter of a fact, this game was going on while they were on their Razor scooters. They also know that 30 to 45 minutes did not pass. It was 30, and more than that, it was 30 to 45 minutes since they stopped playing the game. So that shot would have continued. The game would have continued on for a a while longer. I don't know if it was five minutes or a couple minutes later. What? Maybe more. They'd been gone for 30 to 45 minutes. The game had been over for that long. And Logan and Charlie cannot make any sense of this at all. Because from their point of view, they were on their Razor scooters, and then they lost nearly an hour of time. Not because they were having so much fun. Time broke. And Logan goes, listen, I don't know... Even to this day, what happened? We were kind of banding about a couple different theories, and even now I don't know. Is it possible that we were abducted by aliens? I mean, that's obviously going to the most paranormal answer. Is it possible that we switched dimensions somehow? Gas leak, right? Gas leak that only affects two boys, the gas only raised to their heads. But he goes, I know we were on those Razor scooters, and within an instant, we lost at least 30 minutes Possibly an hour of time. It's an interesting story. Just yesterday we were talking about the power level that would be required to cause a Mandela effect type situation. Lost time. Now listen, I understand like we've all been in a situation where we're watching a movie playing a video game, reading a book, and we lose track of time because we're having so much fun. We're so enthralled. But this is the level of, 
you're reading a book, it's a really good book, and you're cooking something. And when you put the book down, oh my god, I forgot to take the chicken out of the oven. You go, not only is the chicken already out of the oven, somebody ate some of it, and there's dirty dishes in the sink. That's what we're talking about here. It's not just being distracted. Time, something happened in this alleyway, and the thing we have to ask is, is it possible that the pattern they were laying out disrupts the time stream or opens a portal into another dimension? Did they switch realities? Sometimes when we look at Mandela Effect type things, we can go, you might have... What might have happened is what we call quantum suicide, where you had an event where you could have died... You died in one reality, switched to reality where you're still alive. They weren't riding razor scooters through traffic. They weren't chasing dump trucks down the freeway. They're in a neighborhood just rolling around in an alleyway. So it's not like they were in a high-risk situation. <laughs> I mean, this alleyway could have been also a high-traffic area. But you know what I mean? Like, is it po- What I really want to narrow it down, is it possible that the pattern that they did had some sort of effect on the environment. And that's why I found this story on the X-Board a while back, and I thought, super interesting story. The fact that he was able to illustrate the pattern makes it possible that you may be able to replicate it. You may be able to make this pattern on your own. Now, it might sound far-fetched. A long, long, long time ago, it was episode 150, We covered a story that I had read about way before I started doing the podcast, and I absolutely loved this story. When I started doing the podcast, I was like, oh, I got to find that story. It's about what happened at a 3M factory. Uh, You know, 3M, like they make the scotch tape, they make all of those adhesives, they make a ton of different products, but they had these rollers that in the morning, this, this is a crazy story, I'll put it in the show notes, in the morning when they first fired up these machines... It created a force field in between these two giant rollers. You couldn't walk through the middle of it. You would get repelled like a force field from a sci-fi movie. You couldn't move through the area that was between these two rollers. And they thought it was this crazy thing. And they told the boss and the boss came down. It was like, quit goofing around. And then he realized that it worked. And then had a mechanic come in and readjust the rollers. So then it just, they worked, because they had worked previously just fine. Something was off about them. Probably a good safety, safety thing. And when he saw this in real life, he goes, well, just get a mechanic down to fix it. And they were able to readjust the rollers. They didn't really look into what was causing this possible life-changing technology. I said, you know, what if the military could use something like this? And went back to normal. The force field effect left. Very, very interesting because I think the, you know, we have all these rules and laws of physics, but I don't think while a lot of them, you know, the world of paranormal, we believe that some of them are fluid, but while a lot of them, most of them can be quite rigid, it doesn't mean the powers that connect them are strong. It's possible that although these laws of physics, these rules that govern the universe, they hold the planets in place, they maintain the integrity, the bonds of all these things that make life possible. 
I wonder, while they are present, and while they seem immutable, they're actually, the forces behind them may be quite weak. They may be very easy to manipulate. So easy that two boys could accidentally shift themselves through time. Very interesting story because remember that the basketball game is the audio cues that's going on. If they were just playing in the alleyway and then their mom's like, dude, you guys have been out here for a couple hours. I don't think it would have even registered to Logan or Charlie. They go, oh, we were just having so much fun. We lost track of time. It was the basketball game. It was the other source of measurement, the sound and the time of the kids playing that allowed them to realize something was amiss. And as far as I'm concerned, this is a very dangerous phenomenon. Because they were doing very childlike things and they may have warped the fabric of their reality. They weren't trying to start a super collider. They were playing on their Razor scooters and yet they thrust themselves through time, forward in time, accidentally. And... You know, again, like, I wonder how often you could do this. You could repeat a pattern that also changes something about reality. Drastically so. Because this was nothing. This was these kids playing a Razor scooter. They didn't plan on doing it. It was accidental. And they did this. And, I mean, is reality so... Easy to shift through. Is it so easy to break the laws of physics that if you went to grab the salt shaker and you go, no, I want the pepper, and then you grab the pepper and you move it three inches and you go, no, no, this this requires salt, and you grab that again and you go, ah, oh, it's honey, what I really want, and you get up to go to your kitchen cabinet to grab the honey. That was the code. That was the cheat code that shifts something in your world. Now these boys just moved ahead in time. Like I said, minimum a half hour, maximum an hour. And alarming, right? Confusing, perplexing, all of that. But, you know, it, it didn't change anything as far as they could tell drastically. But what if there are other cheat codes out there that could? You walk out of your house, you forget your keys. You walk back in your house, you grab your keys. Then you realize you forgot your hat. You walk into the bedroom, grab the hat. Walk out, check yourself in the mirror, walk out of your front door, and you fall into the infinite void. I mean, who, who knows? It could be a pattern that you would never do, but on that particular day, in that particular moment, that pattern was all that needed to be done to thrust you, not just forward in time, but to a multitude of possible horrific or amazing scenarios. I mean, it's, who knows? It's so weird. This is such a bizarre story. What I find so interesting about it is there are people who would give their left arm to have access to this kind of power. And just like the 3M factory, just like a four, I mean, imagine if you could build a military base that you just couldn't enter. You could not enter it. 
There's a force field around it. It's stopping bullets. It's stopping bombs. You'd have to have a special way in. But I'm sure you can figure that part out. I'm sure you can figure that part out if you have a force field. If you could somehow move forward in time. Time travel is really what it is. If you could stay the same age and do this pattern and end up not an hour into the future, but a hundred hours into the future, a thousand hours, thousand years. Discovered accidentally by these children. And it's funny, this episode... While I didn't set out to do it this way, this is an episode about caution. I hope it doesn't, I think in a way it can make you scared to move about your world. You're like walking out right now and you're like, oh no, I forgot my keys. I forgot my keys and my app, but I don't want to go in there. Jason said I might fall down a deep unending void. It's about caution and both stores are kind of the same. We assume. All the time that someone else is handling the rules. That that fuel tanker is not going to explode in front of you on the freeway. You assume when you're driving behind it that that tanker truck has gone through multiple safety inspections. Hopefully fairly recently. The driver is not a meth-addled freak who's been up for 32 hours. We assume that all the mechanisms set in place by the government and all the mechanisms set in place by his employer and his own common sense... Makes him a safe driver behind a safe vehicle carrying a safe amount of flammable liquid. We assume these things. Just like we assume when we step out of bed, the floor is going to be there in the morning. That we're going to be able to walk around the world and not experience mind-altering events that plunge us into infinite scenarios. We trust the rules. That's what allows us to move through the world. We trust that there are systems in place that protect us. But is that true? Because at the end of the day, if two kids goofing off on their Razor scooters can alter time, then who knows what is possible? Who knows what is safe? We may want to believe that the rules will protect us, but it turns out the only rule that may truly exist is that chaos reigns. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm so glad you listened to it today. Have a great week.